Well, my name is Spencer. I get to be the pastor of Missional Living for Church of the City, and I just want to add my welcome to Matt's and say it's good to be with you on Good Friday. Those of you in this room, those of you watching in the cafe, I'm pointing at the camera, um, and those of you perhaps watching online, uh, it's good to be with you on this Good Friday. An especially warm welcome to you if this, as I said, if this is one of your first times at Church of the City, maybe you are um, exploring the Christian faith uh, for the first time or in a new way um, this Easter season, and we're glad that you're here. If that is the case, if maybe you are exploring the Christian faith uh, for the first time, who is this Jesus person, this historical figure Um, What is the Christian faith all about? A question that may have occurred to you is why on earth is someone's execution something that we would want to celebrate year after year? It's a very strange thing. There's this word in German. I do not speak German, as you will discover momentarily. Uh, The word is schadenfreude. And this word is a concept, uh, it describes a concept um, of delighting in someone's misfortune. The idea of delighting in someone's misfortune. I would think uh, an equivalent in English might be the phrase dancing on someone's grave, right? Delighting in a bad thing, uh, a tragedy that's happened to someone else. There's a painting that's come to sort of be associated with this idea of schadenfreude. I'll put it up on the screen here. Um, So uh, it's a little hard to see the left side of it, but this is a group of monks arriving back at the monastery. Kids, if you could see this, this poor monk, I've called him Brother Tom. Um, Brother Tom, this monk here, is trying to get his donkey. I've called the donkey Bill. And in case any of you are named Bill, my first name is William, okay? So it's more a judgment on myself than on any of you. So Brother Tom is trying to get Bill the donkey back into the barn, I guess, and Bill does not want to go. And what you can't really see very well on the left side is that all of Brother Tom's uh, fellow monks are laughing pretty hard at Brother Tom and Bill the donkey. Um, This is the idea of schadenfreude, delighting in somebody else's misfortune. Now I want to put another painting up on the screen. So that that one was uh, by the artist Eduardo Zamacqua. This one is by someone by the name of Jacopo Tintoretto. This is a scene of the the crucifixion. And this painting is interesting, as so many of uh, depictions of the crucifixion are, because we see in it the chaos, the, the violence taking place that day at Calvary. But then if we zoom in, and I'm gonna do this for us, I this is the same painting, just zoomed in a little bit. You see Jesus there on the cross, and Jacopo Tintoretto, as so many others who have depicted the crucifixion, paints Jesus, you know, so sort of beautifully almost, which is strange, isn't it? How is our celebration of the crucifixion, of someone's death, how are paintings like this not just another case of schadenfreude, of delighting in someone else's misfortune? You know, if The crucifixion of Jesus was one of the gravest injustices in human history, which we as followers of Jesus believe that it was. Why would we celebrate it? Perhaps asked most succinctly, what on earth makes Good Friday any good? And in the passage we read this morning from the book of Hebrews, I think we're given three reasons. 
Three reasons that we would call Good Friday good, that we would celebrate the crucifixion. So let's consider those together. Three reasons for celebration on Good Friday. The first, in Jesus' death, the debt of sin is covered. In Jesus' death, the debt of sin is covered. If you were with us on Sunday, this is much of what Matt talked about that morning. But if you weren't, um, verse 15, the first verse that I read for us, provides uh, a summary of the entire passage that Matt looked at on Sunday. Let me read it again for us. Therefore, he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, there's lots of sort of scriptural language in there. And again, if you are new to the Christian faith, let me uh, very quickly try and put some context around some of the words used here. Uh, uh, There's all kinds of understandings of the word covenant. Even in the Bible, there could be covenants between people, between, uh, you know, nations. Um, But oftentimes what the scripture, and certainly in this moment is talking about, is a is an agreement, a relationship, a particular sort of relationship between God and humankind. And specifically, the writer here, as he talks about the first covenant, is talking about the Mosaic law, this covenant that God made with a particular people, the Israelites, laid out in the Old Testament. And a transgression was an act that was sort of contrary to this agreement, the law laid out by Moses. That's what a transgression is. And so, The Mosaic law laid out in the Old Testament included both how the people of Israel were to live and how they could be forgiven when they transgressed those laws. In other words, when they sinned, how their sins could be forgiven. And that process, as Matt talked about on Sunday, included a couple of things. It included an intermediary or a mediator, the high priest, to minister on behalf of the people. And it included sacrifices, animals of various kinds, But the Old Testament, you could argue, in one sense, is the story of a glaring flaw in this system. And the glaring flaw is people. It's you and I. It's humankind. Because, as we see, if you have been with us as we've gone through the book of Judges, we saw this. But it's true in our world today, too. People, we seem to be more broken than we want to admit. And so then two things can happen as a result. And we see both of these at times in the Old Testament. The, the one is that the sacrifices necessary just become endless. One commentator calls it a gory affair indeed. So many deaths of all these animals required. And even then, as Matt uh, described for us in the passage on Sunday, the conscience was never fully cleared. The law couldn't do that. But then the alternative, you know, either these sacrifices become endless or, and we see this at times in the Old Testament and certainly today too, we can just choose to ignore God's requirements. The Israelites often did this. Distract themselves, medicate themselves in some way, find a God that was easier to worship. In which case, the the debt of transgressions keep piling up. And the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus offers a better way, a new way, a new relationship between God and humankind. Jesus becomes a better high priest, offering a better sacrifice. 
He's not only able to enter the holy place in the temple, the writer of Hebrews says, he's able to enter into the very presence of God as God's son. And he offers up his own life to cover our debt and clear our consciences before God. Thus we get verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So number one, a reason for celebration on Good Friday is that because of Jesus' death, uh, the debt of sin is covered. Number two, another reason that we might call Good Friday good. Because of Jesus' death, we receive a glorious inheritance, this passage tells us. Look at verse 15 again, but I'll read a, a little bit extra this time. Therefore, he's the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. So here the writer introduces this new metaphor, the idea of a will. What it may seem like a bit of a left turn to us, this brand new concept. What we miss is that in the Greek, it's actually the same word, diethike, used for uh, covenant and will. There was just a a religious sense for this word and a, a legal sense. And so we get this new idea of a will, but think about, like, it, it can start to feel like, wait, what, what is the writer talking about here? But really, it's the same understanding that you and I would have of how a will and inheritance works. Think about it. Uh, a, an inheritance is created through someone's life of, of working, right? Their hard work. And then they make a will. They're, this person, the writer of a will, I learned in my study this week, is called a testator. Um, the writer of the will. We, my wife and I wrote our wills a, a, a few years ago now, and that's a very like, sobering process um, for those of us who have done that um, because you think, I hope that this isn't needed for a long period of time, and yet if it is, I want this document to count. I want it to be well written. I want things to go into the right places. My, my, uh, those who will outlive me, my children or my spouse to be taken care of. And the earner of this inheritance is Jesus. And his will comes into effect at his death. And, and we say, well, what are we talking about? Not a, not a true physical will, but we do receive an inheritance, a true inheritance, because of Jesus' death. And you say, well, what is that? What is it that we're inheriting? One commentator says it much better than I. He says that our inheritance is the kingdom of God, the eternal glory without death, suffering, and sin. God himself, Father, and ourselves, his sons and daughters, through faith in Christ. That's the inheritance. Not merely for the individual either, but also for the whole church. And so, if you do have that faith in Christ— You, like Jesus' first disciples, will one day hear these words spoken by Jesus. Come, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
Because of Jesus' death, we receive a glorious inheritance. And the third reason that we might celebrate on Good Friday is that Jesus' death is a death to end all death. It's a little bit of a mouthful. Jesus' death is a death to end all death. Let's look back at our passage. Look at verse 24. For Christ has entered, not in holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he, Jesus, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. The writer of Hebrews is telling us is that Christ's once-for-all sacrifice was so utterly sufficient that it reached back in history all the way to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who had faith, though they didn't know exactly what it would look like. They had faith that God would bring salvation. Jesus' sacrifice reaches back. It's sufficient for them, and it reaches forward to you and I today and to those who will have faith in Jesus who will come after us. But you, you might be asking, hang on, you said it's the death to end all death, and yet those patriarchs, they certainly died. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and Christians today still die. The, uh, the writer of the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul, when he was writing to this church, and it seemed as though they had these same sorts of questions. You know, Paul, how's this all working? Like, I thought Jesus' death, you know, was sort of on our behalf. Had, they had these sorts of questions. And he responds to them in the letter of 1 Corinthians. And one of the things he says is, the last enemy to be defeated is death. Jesus dealt this sort of death blow to death in his crucifixion. And yet we still wait for the final defeat of death. But the sting is gone because we know that just like Jesus, resurrection awaits us. And this is the challenge of Good Friday, isn't it, friends? We want to jump ahead. We want to jump ahead to Easter. But Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, summarizing this idea that though death still exists in the world, its power has been taken away. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And so as the writer of Hebrews tells us, Christ will one day come again and bring not judgment and spiritual death apart from God, but eternal life for those who are in him. But we really do need to keep ourselves from running ahead to Easter. But one quick little, I said three reasons that we might call Good Friday good, but quickly, one uh, bonus reason. Because none of these things that I've said would really be a cause to celebrate someone's death, to dance on their grave, if you will, if they were still in that grave. We've got to wait till Easter. We want to jump ahead. We've got to wait. 
Don't want to steal the thunder that's coming on Sunday. For now, I want to just look at this image one more time, this, this painting that we looked at. I used to get so frustrated, I think, by paintings like this, right? Because I found myself thinking, Jacopo, I've not met Jacopo in person. Uh, he lived, I believe, in the 1600s, but, you know, in sort of this imaginary conversation in my mind, Jacopo, why, you know, you captured the chaos and the violence, you know, you can feel almost noise coming out of this painting, as the two thieves are being nailed to their crosses, the women are in front of Jesus. You know, you capture the chaos and the violence of that day, but there would have been nothing calm, peaceful, or beautiful about Jesus in that moment, in the moment of crucifixion, violent death. But I think I'm growing to understand why artists like this can't help themselves. Because on Calvary, friends, there was tremendous violence and chaos, a grave injustice taking place, and yet it's the spot where we receive an an unimaginable gift. Grace upon grace upon grace. Because as another writer in the scripture says, by his wounds we are healed. (laughs) 